2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Beginning to find that, I hope you are seeing this as well as we make our way through this particular book. There are so many beautiful pictures that Paul gives to us here of our relationship with Christ, of our responsibility. That beautiful picture from last Lord's Day of being the aroma of Christ and and just the, the, the picture that Paul gave to us of who we are. In this chapter, the Holy Spirit leads the Apostle Paul to talk about three things. He's going to talk about a letter, first of all, Then the Holy Spirit guides Paul from that into a discussion about a veil. And from a discussion about the veil, the Spirit leads Paul to talk about a transformation. So we're going to be going from a letter to a veil to a transformation. As I read chapter 3, you'll see that taking place. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, Letters of recommendation to you or from you. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us written not in ink but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face, because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, 
who is the Spirit. It's far the reading of God's Word. Dear Lord, we just thank you for another gorgeous sunrise this morning, and we thank you that we have this opportunity and privilege to come and worship you. Dear Lord, we ask that you be with Pastor Bob this morning and give him words of wisdom and, and guide him. And dear Lord, please be with us as a congregation that we can open our hearts and our minds and accept this word and learn how we can apply it to our lives. Dear Lord, we just thank you for all everything that you have given us. This we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Paul begins the chapter by dealing with the subject of a letter. And what he's talking about is the fact that since he has been gone for this year from the church of Corinth, between his visit and now this second letter, for at least a year, something has occurred in Corinth. And what, that which has occurred is a challenge. Paul's credentials as an apostle are being challenged. And it would appear as one reads through this particular book, because Paul returns to this theme several times, that the challenge is coming from those who are his opponents. And the opponents in this case are not the people of Corinth. It's not the church of Corinth. But it's the for-profit pastors. It's the for-profit shysters. It's the for-profit hucksters that have made their way to Corinth and have kind of made the opportunity of an open pulpit with no Paul there, with no Timothy there, with no Titus there. They, they take the opportunity to use the pulpit Tell the people of Corinth, Paul's not a real apostle. Because look at that horrible letter he wrote to them. Look at that mean letter Paul wrote. Paul talked about things like discipline, and Paul is being divisive, and Paul is not bringing you together. See, what we really need to do is, is we need to get rid of, of all of this Business. Now, they wouldn't put it this way, but this is the essence of what is happening. We need to get rid of all of the, those claims about truth and the, the way to worship God and all those things Paul wrote you. And, and we just need to build. We just need more and more people. We, we just need to swell the ranks. And you don't swell the ranks, they're saying, by not letting women preach. You don't swell the ranks by not letting people do what they want at the Lord's Supper. You certainly don't swell the ranks when you start disciplining members and turning them over to Satan. That's no way to swell the ranks. You see, these men are not interested in the gospel. These men are interested only in the bottom line. They're interested in the dollar. They're interested in their paycheck. They're interested in making money. These men... These opponents, these hucksters, have come in and challenged Paul. That's why the chapter begins with Paul saying, Do I really need a letter of recommendation? Is it really necessary for me to have to defend my apostleship? Is it really necessary for me to have to come in and defend 
that which I have been doing? Do I really have to defend my imprisonments and the stripes on my back? Do I have to defend the letters that I have written, the cause of Christ that I have promoted? Do we need those letters? Then Paul lays it down. Paul says, I do have a letter of recommendation. I do have such a letter. It's you. It's you, the Corinthians. My letter of recommendation is you as the church at Corinth. Now, think about who he's talking about here. Think about as we went through 1 Corinthians and all the problems and all the difficulties. How Paul writes that that letter correcting those. Now Paul is saying, "You're, you're my letter of recommendation. Once again, why? Because as we've been looking at and noting, the Corinthians took to heart that which Paul wrote. They put into practice. They were working on those things. It's been reported to Paul. Paul, you know the problems with the Lord's Supper? Corinthian church is working at that. You know the problem they had with gifts? Corinthian church is working on that. You know the problem they had with unity? Church is working on that. Now you've got another problem to deal with, and that's these guys who are coming in challenging you. But the church is really going through some changes, Paul. And they're for the good. They're great things. So Paul says, my letter of recommendation is you yourselves. You're the living testimony. That what I preach is Christ. You are a letter, Paul says, from Christ himself. It is Christ himself. You show that you are a letter, verse 3, from Christ delivered by us. You show that. What he's talking about is the fact of this is genuineness. This isn't, well, this wasn't a change for Paul's sake. The church in Corinth wasn't being transformed because, well, they thought so much of Paul or they wanted to do it for Paul. No, they're, they're doing it because of Christ. They love Christ. They want to serve Christ, and now they've heard the word of Christ from Paul, and they're going, that's what we want to do. We want to serve Christ. Paul says, you're my letter of recommendation because at the heart and core of your lives is Jesus Christ. And he has written on your heart by the work of the Spirit. It's the Spirit who is transforming you. It is the Spirit who is changing you. It is the Spirit who is causing you to grow. And so yes, Paul says, I have confidence. Starting there in verse 4. But my confidence is not in my power. My confidence is not in my preaching. My confidence is not in my letter work writing. My confidence is in the Lord. Because I know it's the Lord who has done this. It is the Lord who has been at work in you. It is the Lord who is transforming you. So there, you're my letter of recommendation. Because the Spirit is writing on your hearts. This isn't we're changing because we got the rules. 
This is, this is a transformation because their heart is being sanctified. Their heart is being transformed. So he ends that section, okay, there in verse 6, talking about then, about the, the new covenant and the letter. And what's he talking about? He's talking about the law and the gospel. Notice what he says, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, you have to step back and you have to say, okay, Paul's writing, but this is the Holy Spirit guiding him. This is, this is the illumination. This is the inspiration of the Spirit. Where do you go from that point? Well, look at where the Spirit takes Paul in the writing of this chapter. He takes them from, from this discussion of the Holy Spirit writing on their hearts, not on tablets of stone, to reflecting upon the veil. And he's going back to Exodus chapter 34. And he's talking about the veil of Moses. Some of you recall it because we've had it in Bible study. you remember when, when Moses went up the second time. Not the first time, but when he goes up the second time. Now, you, you have to pause there and say, is that significant? Yes, because it's an example again of God's grace. He went up the first time, got the law, came back down. They're worshiping a golden calf. Moses throws down the tablets and they break. God could have ended the Israelite nation there. But God is gracious. God spares. God calls Moses back up. God gives to Moses the commandments again. And this time, when Moses comes down the mountain, his face glows because he has been in the presence of God. The glory of God is radiating from the face of Moses. So much so that the people go, we're having a hard time listening here because your face is glowing. You're going to have to put a veil on. A covering. You're going to have to cover your face. So when it's talking here, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when, when the, Paul is referencing the veil of Moses, he's talking about a literal veil that Moses wore. And when Moses would go into the tent of meeting and speak with the Lord, he'd lift up the veil. When Moses came out of that tent of meeting from speaking with the Lord, he puts the veil down. In order that the people could hear that which the Lord was saying to them. That's what Paul is referencing. That's the historical event to this receiving of the law. And, and that was a glorious thing. Now, what Paul is saying is, this is kind of interesting. Because here we have the law that can save no one. No one can be saved by obedience to the law. In fact, what the law brings is death. 
What the law brings is condemnation. What the law brings is a, is a reminder to us that we are sinners and, and we are not perfect people. Therefore, we do not deserve glory. We do not deserve heaven. We do not deserve salvation. We're sinners. All the law can do is kill. The law is incapable of giving life. That's the word of the Lord. It can't do it. Paul's point is, isn't it interesting that God brings the law and even the law which can only kill and bring condemnation still is brought in a glory so magnificent that Moses, reflecting the glory of God, has to wear a veil. How much more then, Paul said, how much more must the glory be that comes from the Spirit that gives life? Now remember what he, who, what he was saying to the Corinthians. To the Corinthians he was saying, the Spirit lives in you. What has Paul now just said? Paul has just said to you as Corinthians, the Spirit living in you makes you a more glorious picture than does the radiating face of Moses that needed a literal veil over it. If the law is something that, that come, came with God's glory, how much more so the Spirit that brings the gospel, that brings life, how much more the glory is, how much more intense the glory is. Want to catch a picture of that? We caught a part of that Wednesday night when we opened up God's Word to Revelation chapter 1, and John sees that, that vision of Christ. Here's Moses with veiled face bringing the law. Here's John with unveiled face beholding the glory of Christ in such a magnificent way, in such a magnificent way, in such a holy way, in such a pure way. With a brilliance that John describes that was more brilliant than the sun itself. There's Christ. But Paul goes on to talk not now about a literal veil, but a spiritual veil. The veil that covers the hearts of the Jews. Notice how he picks this up. Okay? Verse 12. But we have such a hope, we are bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, who is the they? That's the Jewish people. Okay? Not those who are believers, but those who are practicing yet the Old Testament rules and laws. 
Judaism. Rejecting Christ, embracing the law. Paul says, but their minds are hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Yes, verse 15, to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. He's reminding us again that apart from Christ and apart from the work of the Spirit, men's hearts are veiled. Even the Jewish people who are peering into that old covenant, even these Jewish people who are peering into that which Moses gave from Sinai, as they read, they read as those whose hearts are veiled. They can't really see. They can't really see the purpose. They really can't see Christ. They're still dead. All that law is doing is bringing death and death and death and condemnation. There are some commentators who believe that, that perhaps some of those who came into Corinth as these hucksters of the gospel might have been legalistic thinking folks. They, they might have been coming in and, and, and preaching the fact that, that Paul abandoned too much of the Old Testament. No, 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 Paul. No, we, we still need to keep some of those Old Testament festivals. No, we still need some of those feasts. No, we still need that ceremonial cleansing. No, 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 no. We, we still need those sacrifices. You're, you're giving away too much, Paul. And there might have been those who, who are challenging Paul because he, he, Paul was about freedom. Paul was about teaching that the law only brought condemnation. These guys are saying, no, the, the law brings life. Paul now is saying, you go back to that? That's a veil. Those Jews standing there in that temple, those Jews reading that law from the temple mount, from the steps, those rabbis that are teaching that law, you got to understand, Paul is saying, they are individuals who have a veil over their hearts. They do not see Christ. So here we go to the third part of the chapter, the transformation. We go from the letter to talking about the veil, because you have the letter of the law okay, being talked about over against the work of the Spirit, and now... We're, we're talking about the work of the Spirit and glory. And notice where Paul goes with this. Verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, 
beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let me break that down into four points. Okay, we're on the last point. Four points. One. Paul says that we as believers, now he's talking to the Corinthians and he's talking to them and he's saying, you don't need to listen to these guys who are telling you to go back into legalism. That would be to put a veil over your heart again. You only not only have a veil, not over your heart, you don't even have a veil over your face. That veil has been removed. When one comes to Christ, when one comes with their sin, casting it upon Christ, when one comes as a repentant, acknowledging their sin, when one comes confessing that Jesus Christ alone is the way of salvation, that He alone is the blood atonement, that He alone is the perfect sacrifice, that He alone is the way, the truth, and the life, that He alone is the one name given under heaven by which men can be saved. A veil is removed. The veil of our heart that keeps us from seeing Christ. The Lord removes that veil. This is just once again a reminder to us that the work of our salvation from all parts is a work of grace. It is God who just as in grace called Moses up the second time and said, let me give you the law again. It is God who is working in grace removes that veil of stone that's over our hearts, removes our obstinance, removes our rebellion. It is the Lord who does this. It's the Lord's work of grace, of our spiritual blindness. That veil is removed. What's Paul write in Ephesians? We are dead in our trespasses and sin, but it's the Lord who makes us alive. We don't make ourselves alive. It's the Lord who does this. This is grace. That's what Paul is saying to them. You folks there in Corinth, you're a work of grace. You folks here at Little Farms, you're a work of grace. God has removed the veil that covered your heart. Secondly, there is freedom. Freedom. Go back to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. What is the freedom that Paul is talking about? It's what he's written about. Here we, here we go again. We use Scripture to inform us. We use Scripture to teach us what Scripture means. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. That's the freedom. We are set free from the condemnation that the law brings. We are set free from the death that the law brings. The letter kills. We 
are set free from that. There is no longer a condemnation over our heads. There is no longer a sentence of death over our heads. There is no longer a blindness to the truth of God that is being held against us. That has been removed. There is no condemnation. Why? Because the Spirit, and notice how in chapter 3, this is where Paul has always has been bringing this. It's the Spirit. What has the Spirit done? The Spirit has set you and I free from the condemnation that comes from the law. So here's Corinth. Some of the people who are coming into Corinth as itinerant preachers are preaching they've got to go back to the law. Paul is saying, why would you do that? Why would you go back into some form of legalism? Thinking that that's the way of holiness. Thinking that that's the way of salvation. We have been set free by the Spirit from that condemnation because you can never... Keep it. You can never not kill your neighbor. You say, well, I've never killed. Yes, we have. We've all had hatred in our heart towards somebody. And hatred is killing. We've all committed murder in that regard. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have broken the law. You want to, if, if you're going to say that the way of salvation comes through obedience to the law, then all you're going to end up with is being a condemned person. Because that's all the law can do. But the Spirit, the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. We've been set free in Christ. That's the freedom Paul is talking about there in verse 17. So that, you see, now there is this change. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Oh, just stop and think about that one for a minute. We behold the glory of God. Where? In the gospel. See, what Paul is saying is this. When you hear the gospel, when you read the gospel, God's glory shines through it. And you don't need a veil. You don't need a covering over your face. When God spoke to Moses, it necessitated a veil. You don't need it. You with unveiled face, behold the glory of God. Now where have we heard that before? We heard that before last week in a different scene, in a different setting. As he talked about that triumphal march, as he talked about us being the aroma, and, and the aroma that is so well pleasing to the Lord is when we speak of Christ, and we speak of Christ crucified. Oh, the Lord goes, oh, that smells so good. I love hearing about my son. Here, Paul is saying, you see, that's the glory of God being given to us. When we hear, when we speak of Christ, God's glory being revealed. We don't have to wear the veil of the law. 
We receive it in the Spirit. And we all, we all, all, every single believing Christian, every single one who has turned to the Lord, all, every one of us, all, are beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What are we being transformed into? Into the same image. What is the image? What image are we being transformed into? Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to what? The image of the law? Are we being conformed to the image of Moses? Are we being conformed to the image of Paul? Are we being conformed to the image of John Calvin? Are we being conformed to the image of Martin Luther? No, you and I are being transformed into image of Christ. The image of His Son. God is working His purposes out. In all that's transpiring in your and my life, God's goal, God's purpose is that we become more like Christ. We're being transformed that way. Even as Moses' face, as he comes down from that mountain, glows with the glory of God, so we, when we leave this place, so we, when we, when we hear and believe God's word, when we accept it as truth, we leave this place glowing with the glory of of Christ. It's an amazing thing. And we, 2 Corinthians 18, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. Always Movement. There is always a growing to Christ. That's what God is doing. That is how God is working. Sanctifying us. Day after day after day. What does it mean to be sanctified? That more and more I live. And am being formed to the image of Christ. And if I'm living and, and being conformed to the image of Christ, then what is the image of Christ that has existed now? Is the image of Christ now dead? Is the image of Christ now beaten? Is the image of Christ now laying in a grave? Is the image of Christ now on a cross? No, the image of Christ now is joy to the world. The Lord is King. Joy to the world. The Savior reigns. Joy to the world. 
Christ is the victor. It is in that glorious image of the triumphant general leading his troops in victory through the streets of Rome. It is that victor whose glorious image we reflect into this world. Kind of puts an election in perspective, doesn't it? Kind of puts life in perspective. This is who we are. This is who we are to be. Don't put a veil. Don't put a veil when you leave this place. But with unveiled faith, live the glory of Christ in you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Father, thank you. What a tremendous passage your Holy Spirit has given to us. Father, we, we could spend the rest of our lives just in this chapter, just dwelling upon it, just absorbing it, just taking it in, in all that it means, in all that it implies. But Father, the Spirit gave chapter 4 and 5 and 6 as well in order that we might grow, that we might be transformed into that glory upon glory, that we might be transformed not to being ourselves, being transformed to being the image of Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you. We celebrate his coming. We celebrate his victory. We celebrate his reign. And we look forward to his coming again. God's people say, Amen.